Hello, Don's fans. Ian here. Welcome to the 11th in our series of Don the Stat bonus episodes. Tonight's guest had the honour of pulling on the sash, if only for a short time. He's then gone on to become a legend of Victorian football, recently passing 300 VFL games and, as of recording, will soon gain the record of most games played in VFL football, passing Bill Swan on 302. He's someone I've been lucky enough to know for close to a decade now, and I finally worked up the courage to ask him to come on the show. Ben Jolly, thanks for joining me on Don the Stat. No worries, Yumi. That's all right. I'll, I'll just fill people in with how I know you. We we work together. We work together um, as teachers. And um, my introduction to you was on my my first day coming in, um, and we were both going to be teaching uh, humanities, crime, and I sort of could place place the name and the face, and I just couldn't quite work it out. And then so as soon as I left, I got in the car and I, I Googled you on my phone and you had a Wikipedia page. So I think I was as excited about sitting next to someone at work who had a Wikipedia page as much as sitting next to a Don's player. I thought that was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, and then we had had a lot of good times teaching that that class with the, um, the good old crime walk. Um <laughs> won't go into that but anyway <laughs> not, it's not where we got the kids to go out and commit crimes so it's something a bit different to that um, Just a <laughs> yeah look well look let's let's firstly touch on the milestone obviously a couple of weeks back you you recently came off the high of playing your 300th game you got to run out in front of your family and your home supporters um tell us what it means to you to have reached reach that milestone yeah um like like a, a lot and it's nice to kind of be in these positions with you to be able to reflect on them, Hume. Um, as much as I say it's like a box to tick and hopefully there'll be another one of those to also tick in a, in a few weeks' time, it, um, yeah, it's just an accumulation of, of a lot of hard effort and support and encouragement from, from really a, a whole lot of people. And I suppose seldom do you get the chance to actually illustrate and display the thanks that you have for all the support and encouragement that you've had, but also to also share in the enjoyment of the day because it certainly was a is a, a fairly um, a large collection of people who have assisted me to kind of get there, and, and it just was it was really lovely. So I, I wanted to make a point of not doing the whole cliche thing and you know trying to ignore it and taking it one week at a time, but no, just really take take the time to to um yeah to enjoy what kind of both came my way and and to see um all the people get as much enjoyment out of it as what I did, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a pretty big achievement given that you're only the third person in the history of, you know, that that tier of football to a, to accomplishment. And it's, it's really a, a culmination of, you know, probably more than half your life's, half your life at the, at the moment. Yeah, really, isn't it? Yeah. And that's like one of those kind of sobering statistics um, or sobering things that you think about that you go, yeah, I've been a part of this league now for, you know, more than 50% of my my life and all of my my adult life so um and that's kind of also taken into consideration i think <laughs> a higher power might have been against me getting there considering we had a full season of footy cancelled and then the one after um concluded after only nine rounds that was it ever really <laughs> going to, to type happen so to kind of work my um way through those kind of couple of seasons and and still be going to be able to get there um yeah it was, it was pretty satisfying yeah, and as time of recording, you're up to 301 games. Is that that's right? That is, yeah, that is correct. Yeah, yeah, so two more weeks for you to to get the record. I mean, is it a similar feeling to the, the 300 milestone, or is it sort of different different emotions knowing that whenever anyone looks at the the record for games played, you're going to be the first name on the list? 
Yeah, uh, look, similar. Um, that'll kind of be um, a bit self-indulgent, though, won't it? <laughs> if I say that that's what's what's kind of the drive, I like that. That'll be that will be cool. Don't get me wrong, but I imagine it's kind of um, it's similar things. Um, as much as I've been like a, a person who's set goals for themselves and has strived to achieve them, the, these kind of milestones have really been the ones where I've probably verbalized it more than what I have anything else, um, and that kind of sense of being held accountable to the fact that I've said that's what I'd like to do and then having this uncertainty as to whether or not it will um, will actually come to fruition was, um, was yeah, a bit strange. So once that is also a box um, to be um, very um, gladly ticked, it, it probably will have that, you know, greater sense of, of satisfaction as well. Yeah, and I guess, you know, after that's ticked, every week will be a new record as well. So, yeah. you know, probably won't have the same probably won't have the same impact, but, you know, you can always just say each week I'm a record breaker. Uh, I, think, I think by that stage, everyone will have had enough of Ben Jolly breaking records, I think. So we can put that to bed. There you go. Well, look, let's go back to the beginning. So uh, you grew up a Bomber supporter. Um, was that a family thing or did you come to the Dons another way? Uh, probably twofold. So, um, I grew up very, very close to, to Windy Hill. So basically from our kind of front porch, um, grew up in Strathmore, um, we're on elevated, um, uh, plateau. We could kind of see the Alan T. Heard sign. Um, and so living in the Northwestern suburbs, um, generally when I was growing up, it was either Carlton or, um, or, or Essendon. And I had, um, an older cousin who I pretty much idolized, um, kind of growing up and one of my best friends now who was an Essendon supporter. So that was always the, the hook in. And then, um, consequently with mum and dad both growing up in, in Mooney Ponds and, and Oak Park respectively through, um, their families, there was also quite a large number of, of, of Essendon supporters. So, um, that I think certainly held sway. And then also the timing of it. So, um, was born in in the mid eighties, so um, a fairly oh, even though I missed the like the eighty four and eighty five premierships and things like that, um, I don't really have that greater recollection of, of nineteen ninety, but ninety three I was six or seven, and um, I kind of I'm, that was probably like the first game of footy I reckon I actually properly remember. So even though it was fairly indoctrinated in me as a as an Essendon supporter by then, that certainly solidified it kind of going forward. And and then um for basically the next ten years after that, the club was near near enough around the mark. So um yeah, you were kind of a bit spoiled upon <laughs> yeah. reflection, I think, mate. Yeah, we I think we thought the good times would never end, and then <laughs> you know sometimes they do end, and you know eventually, hopefully, the wheel will turn. We saw at Richmond the wheel eventually turn, even though it took thirty odd years. So you know we might be you know pushing fifty and um, <laughs> seeing how we go there, but hopefully not. Um, look, just quickly, the you obviously mentioned ninety three. Yep. Um, that's obviously one of the, the key memories for you. What are some of the other defining memories, and I guess the players that you most enjoyed watching? Yeah, no worries. Well, I'll, I'll start with a high and then I'll go back to like a bit of a downer. So aside from like the 93 flag in terms of those um, games of footy that are kind of crystallised in my memory, I <laughs> I not so fondly remember the 96 prelim <laughs> losing to, to Sydney with the kick after the siren. Um, so I remember that because we were on a, a bit of a family road trip and we stopped in Aubrey Wodonga and um, – we had some other families and things like that around who are all certain supporters and there are a fair few tears shed from a number of my friends, <laughs> um, you know, teenage boys who just couldn't kind of believe what, what they were seeing. Um, 
Uh, so that that's another one that kind of sticks out. And then basically everything from the 2000 season, both me being at an age where I'm starting to think a bit more about, you know, playing football and progressing a little bit with my footy. So the interest in the game and how it's played and seeing um, this side, you know, there's no other word to describe it other than dominate a season of, of football like that is um, uh, also kind of sticks out, you know, pretty prominently. Um, I've brushed over the 99 prelim because I don't think I can actually think about that day. <laughs> I think that, got, that was cancelled, wasn't it? That didn't happen. Something like that. Erased like, like, history books. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, I mean, we're basically the same age. So I think we've got a lot of yeah. the same, same yeah. defining memories uh, growing up, although it didn't expire, inspire me to as high a football heights as it has for you. Um, I guess you, you sort of mentioned that you're starting to take it seriously around that 2000 season. I guess just sort of going back, you know, was football something you always played as a kid? And, and when did you start realising, okay, I'm actually good at this and I, I could make this a, a long-term thing? Yeah, look, probably around that stage, I'll, I'll backtrack to the beginning. I wasn't like one of those, um, I, was fairly a, I was a fairly highly strung um, young kid. So I had lots of energy, but um, I was quite highly strung. So my um my kind of first introduction to sport in general was through athletics and, and cross country. That were the kind of the two sports that um I think mum and dad realised, or mum in particular, seeing dad was working most Saturdays, would kind of um, expel most of my energy, um, and therefore mean that I was not going to annoy my older sister and younger brother too much over the course of the weekend. Um, uh, and then from that was basketball, just as a as a as initial kind of team sport. And then footy came into it, I mean, under 10s, but as, as, as I was kind of um, saying, I wasn't like one of those kids who started playing footy at five years old and all that kind of stuff. It was Oz kick, yeah. But um, uh, under 10s was when I kind of started. But being, again, quite uh, a highly strung kid, mum and dad only let me play footy every two years. So only when I was a top age player would they let me play. So 10s, one season, under 12s, under 14s. Um, and I think that was probably not a bad way of kind of going about it. Let me kind of explore other sports and, um, you know, acquire the skills that you need from playing basketball or tennis or just the ability to rely on oneself doing cross country or, or athletics. Um, I was never, I was never again, like the best in the teams that I was playing with. And that goes through like my junior football and also kind of school football. But, um, the kind of grounding that I had in terms of like athletics and cross country just gave me some components of my fitness that enabled me to kind of probably just be a little bit better because I could run a little bit first, further or faster or jump a little bit higher. And then the whole um, hand-eye ball coordination, like just give me a ball in any capacity and I'd like to master it. So those types of things just kind of came naturally. Um, but yes, in and around that time of kind of entering the the junior like call to cannons programs and things like that was where I started to kind of realize that all of these things that I've kind of learned with these various sports and, and things that I've participating, they're all kind of just molding into, to playing good football. And I was just fortunate in and around those times that I was, those connections were being made about, you know, not so much like training obsessively or hard, but, you know, just putting the work in and getting the results um, out the other way. Um, and then the kind of the big hook, and again, very fortunate that most of those kind of junior sides that I was participating in end up being pretty successful. Um, and what are you going to 
really hang your hat on, you know, local junior EDFL premierships or, or, or school flags and things like that. But I was just getting that addiction of participating in team sport and winning as a collective. And yes, with basketball, that was being experienced and all those types of things like that. But it wasn't quite the same sense of um, camaraderie that I was getting out of playing football. So um, all of those things kind of combined and then me kind of finding myself and and, um, and making, um, you know, some various representative sides along the way were kind of, yeah, just starting to at least plant the seeds that giving it the time that it deserves could kind of progress to ideally, you know, being able to make it in the AFL. Yeah, and I mean, you, you sort of mentioned the quarter program there, and I think that your draft year, you quarter won the the under eighteen flag that year, and you actually, you know, you were the captain of that side. I think some leadership, something we'll, we'll come back to a bit, and so you know, I guess you're in, you're in a successful side, so I guess that that puts your name up a bit more than 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 other other players potentially, and you know, you were named in the team of the year for for that year, and you know, as a leader, were you what were your expectations going into the draft that year, and, and were you a bit surprised that you weren't picked up? in the national draft? Yeah, look, I, I, I suppose, like, it's hard to say, like, you were surprised because it, yeah, for, you know, back then with there being only 16 teams in the competition and the national draft very rarely exceeding kind of that 60 to 65 picks that, like, if you were to sit back and actually do the the maths of how that actually looked, you're always a bit of a slim chance. And for, for someone who was never, like, a number one pick or anything like that, um, you're like, oh God, it's the odds are probably stacked against you. But those types of things that you've just mentioned, so the quarter team being successful, captaining it, um, also did the captain the the state side that year. We won that. So there there was, yes, a certain sense of like this could or, you know, I think I've kind of done enough for this to actually happen, for that to um to occur. Um again, like all the clubs that I, I was speaking to at that particular time, they were always holding their cards very close to their chest. So I was never given any false sense of, of hope that I was very much just in the mix with, with, um, with uh, I imagine the vast, vast majority of other players. So when that kind of didn't actually happen, it probably was like for when I reflect back on like a pretty privileged run up until that point, not that much disappointment, not really having to deal with that much adversity. And then for the name not to be kind of called out on that day, it, it took a bit of a toll, undoubtedly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it's probably – it's not as big a deal as it is now. There, was, there probably wasn't, like, cameras waiting in your um, in your living room with your family all, all around you. But, you know, it's – it's I guess you've got that hope. And, and when it doesn't doesn't pan out, you, you are disappointed in that. Yeah. But, I mean, look, you know, a few months later, you know, you end up getting selected as part of the rookie draft, um, pick 2027 20, there. Was it – was that a surprise um, leading up to that? Or did you sort of get the impression that Essendon was interested in you? And I guess just sort of following on from that, what's it like being selected by the team you grew up supporting? Yeah, so um, a bit of it. So I had a, one of my good mates actually, and, and still to this to this day, uh, had a very similar kind of path in his last 12 months of football. And that was um, Adam Bentick, who ended up playing about 70 games for, for Carlton. Um, so he was someone I certainly kind of lent on. Like he was Captain Calder the year before I did um, um, to the Premiership. Um, also didn't get um, drafted, but was a con- consequential rookie pick. Um, so I kind of lent on him during that period. And he said, look, mate, to be perfectly honest, as you kind of do realise, but at the time when you're 18 years of old, 18 years of age, your life experience is, is nil, or at least mine mine was. So 
um, if you've got this dream of being drafted and that doesn't happen, you're unsure of what's what's kind of next. Said oh, once you kind of get to a um, an AFL footy club, it's 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 everyone's treated exactly the same in terms of um, what you do and what you get out of it will um will come to the to the fore. So after the national draft, I ended up training at Carlton. So there was a bit of a gap between national draft and the rookie preseason draft um, back in 2004, as opposed to the gap that is now. So I ended up training for about four weeks at Carlton. And again, without them like guaranteeing anything, I'd kind of trained well, things were, were kind of looking somewhat positive. And that's kind of where I thought that I was going to be ending up just based on where I'd spent the last four weeks. Um, Essendon, again, I've, Family connections and things like that has um, have kind of been in existence at the club, and, and I had a relationship with Adrian Dodoro through um, various things. We kind of sat down the year prior and kind of just discussed a few uh, little bits and pieces. But I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't certainly um, of the opinion that they were, uh, you know, a high probability to pick me up. Um, so it kind of did come as a little bit of a surprise. Um, that surprise was great because. Uh, it meant that I was going to be at least on an AFL list. So at that particular point in time, the airs and graces of where you were going, to what team, to what state or anything like that was completely gone. It was just the end goal was the main thing. Um, But when that was found out, and it wasn't found out necessarily how it is these days with, uh, let's just say, dial-up internet connection being the (laughs) the, uh, best thing that you had available and – Fox Sports not really designating too much time to a rookie draft in 2004. So um, the kind of news actually just came through with a phone call, um, somewhat unexpected. I had trained a cut in the morning, was sitting on the couch, and um, the phone call came through from Adrian just saying, oh, we've, we've drafted you. Why don't you come down to the club? And I actually hadn't kind of been updated or kept track of things like that. So that was, um, again, so I can actually remember like what I was doing, where I was, uh, when the phone call come through, came through, so it probably had a pretty profound effect, and um, yeah, I was I was pretty pleased. I was pretty stoked. <laughs> yeah, as you would, like as you sort of said, it's you know you've worked for it for, for so long, and you know you had that initial disappointment, but you know now you've got a chance, and you know you can at least give it a red hot crack and and see what you can get out of it. I guess so. You've you've gone into an Essendon side at the start of two thousand and five. They've you know they've played finals and won finals yeah. uh, each of the past five years, obviously 2000 premiership and um, making semifinals the previous two years. I guess, you know, you're not expected to really come in and, you know, change change the game. But I guess what was the expectations at the club at the time about where Essendon was at? And especially since, you know, the previous year, you know, a lot of those premiership stars retired. I think Mercedes and Mercury both retired. Wellman retired. I think Alessio retired the previous year. So a lot of those, those players had been that core of that side were gone. Um, and then obviously the the issues with the, the salary cap leading to a few others going out. So there was a lot of change at the time. What was the general expectation um, amongst the club at the time? And I guess how did that sort of start playing out as, you know, things probably weren't going as well as, as they were hoping? Yeah. So I think the, the, the era and the period that you've just described was one where success was the expectation, particularly playing finals. So I'm kind of ref- trying to reflect back on those times and it like I I don't know how much was necessarily said about you know positioning and what the expectations were but when you still got um James Hurd kind of running around in your side every week and um being aware of the things that he could do I and 
God, Lordy was still playing really, really good footy at that stage. And, and another, a lot of other periphery players like Solly and, and Rammer. So there was a lot. There was still, there, as much as you said, like uh, Merckx, um, Joey, um, Seth kind of all departing in the previous couple of years, there was still like enough there that the, that I was kind of kind of entering in a club that, again, played and won finals the previous year, that that was definitely the path that that they were on. Um as 2005 kind of didn't continue to pan out as expected, there was never like there certainly wasn't any um, any inference or mentioning of like you know playing for draft picks or you know this is what the club needs. It was that kind of real real bitter disappointment and unwillingness to accept the situation. Like end of the season rolls around, everyone's like, oh, this is this isn't a great feeling type of thing. Now, unbeknownst, things didn't get any better in 2006 either. But um, there was just always a 100% commitment to like winning, definitely winning. And that was, and that was hard to escape. So I know, um, and being a more experienced player now, there's always the talk at the start of the seasons of needing to finish top four or um, these expectations. None of that was necessarily explicit, but there was just a genuine desire and want to, to win kind of, you know, every every week was um was certainly an undercurrent there definitely yeah you, you sort of see that with, with those teams that have been up for a while and you know they sort of they try and cling on and you know i think you see you see teams bring in players and you know you know really push hard to, to try and keep keep up there and you know it, it can actually have a, a more negative effect than actually is if you sort of you know be honest with with the situation and and where you're at and you, you sort of you know mentioned that 2006 season which ended up being you know even even worse and the poorest yeah. season for Essendon in, in quite a while. Um, I guess, you know, the, it's also one where you've got good memories, I guess, because that's the season you ended up making your your debut. Um, so you ended up playing four games in that season. Just sort of talk us through what it was like making your debut. Was it much made of it like there is these days or was it a lot more low-key sort of thing? Yeah, um, I suppose like backtrack just a little bit. So the, the 2005 season, as we've just discussed in turn out all right, and I'm trying to think about these types of things about what the expectations were. And to be perfectly honest, 2005 was a was was very much a, a blur for me. So like arriving in the club a week before Christmas, um, bit of a like getting to know the guys for essentially seven days before a couple of weeks off for Christmas, and then I'm getting back into the swing of things, senior football exposure for the first time. Um, like there's just a, a continual barrage of new things to learn, game styles, and then getting into the games itself, um, and then. Uh, that whole year, just week by week, just either learning or thinking you're kind of going okay, then slip, like just as as I suppose most young people when they find themselves in new situations, um, that was that. So getting to the end of that, that season, it was almost for me, it felt like the first time to take a bit of a collective gasp um, and exhale and try and figure out what had just happened. Thankfully, I think I'd kind of observed and been able to um, learn a few things that I could implement um straight away in kind of that that preceding off season and after kind of a trip away which was great um, both for me to get to know um, the guys like a lot more it kind of felt like that was the first kind of time where I felt a part not a part of the club is not meant to be taken that I felt distance or removed from what was kind of going but kind of felt a bit more entrenched with with the group and and felt a part of it so kind of getting back um 
today one of pre-season um, for the 2006 season. I really wanted to like lay it all on the line. Um, I was a rookie, so I was only on 12-month contract and was fortunate enough to get re-signed after the first 12 months. So it was kind of the the mindset of, of this. I've got to make this post a winner. So really invested a lot of time in getting myself in um, as greater shape as what I possibly could um, and then was able to take that momentum through the – the um the preseason and after the break. And then I found the 2006 season from basically the get-go, one where everything was just kind of coming together perfectly. Um, the only kind of downside was being still a rookie listed player that I was only ever going to get an opportunity if someone was um, moved onto the the long-term um injury list. So I was really, really pleased with how I was playing, gaining confidence week in, week out, and kind of feeling like I was doing absolutely everything that I, I possibly could. But you were kind of waiting for an unfortunate occurrence to to happen, enable uh, to enable yourself to actually um, get a spot. And well, it's a much probably of- a much better system now, where you know rookies don't have to wait for a long term injury. You know, you're not sitting there. Like, I guess if you're you're a rookie, you're like, I really want to play, but I don't want to see one of my mates, yeah. you know, not be able to play, I guess. Yeah, correct. And, you know, long-term injuries are never like the nice ones. They're, you know, they've done a knee or or broken bones or like seriously injured themselves. Um, and in terms of seriously injuring themselves and knees and broken bones, I think kind of needs to take a back seat to obviously Rama having a second bout of um, cancer, which opened up a spot. Um, and then, yeah, eventuated... Um, mid-July, almost to the day, actually. I think it was July 15th, as a matter of fact, that I made my debut against the Saints. Um, I, didn't plan the, I didn't plan this that way. I just sort <laughs> of worked out. Clearly not. Um, uh, yeah, so, like, recollections of that. I remember the first game against the Saints. It was a wet day at the MCG. We just got pipped at the post by, I think, under a goal. Um, uh, finding out at the time... So with um, first and second year players, the AFL, was, as they still are to this day, and do a great job of you know ensuring that they've got some outside interest. So I can't remember the name of the specific course that we were doing, but there was a component that required us to complete um, a defensive driving course out at um, Cranbourne Racing Course, race course, and um, we were doing these you know emergency braking and all these types of things like that. And I got a phone call from Gary O'Donnell on the Thursday afternoon saying that I was going to kind of make my debut. So there was no like <laughs> cameras or films or anything like that. It was, it was, it, I'm not underselling this. Like Gary was, was absolutely wrapped for me. Um, and so was I, but um, there, the, like, it was just like a kind of congratulatory. Yep. We need you in the side. You're playing, um, you know, we've got faith in you, you know, really just take the opportunity and kind of run with it. Um, so that was really great. And then kind of like uh, two other or the three other games. Um, yeah, look, the Sydney game was okay. Played the Saints game, missed one or two weeks, came back to Sydney. I think they gave me a run, which was great. Played Sydney, then played Collingwood, which was probably the, the game that we won and I kind of played okay in and then finished it off with a pretty bad loss, unfortunately, to, to Hawthorne. So like all of that was was um yeah, it was, was great. Like playing one AFL game is like something that's really something to be proud of. But to get a kind of couple in in um or a few in 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 that season to kind of finish things off, it was just it felt like it was just like reward for, reward for um for, for the hard work that I've kind of put in and the ability to perform at the at the lower level. Um and to get my opportunity was was you know something that I'll yeah, well I'm I'm now known as an Essendon player, albeit slightly, but it is something that, you know, I still hang my hat on. 
Yeah. And I mean, you, you sort of mentioned that that lower level, you were you were probably dominating for Bendigo given you won the best player that season. And, you know, I guess if you, you you're doing the best in the, in the seconds and then, you know, you, you find out that you're not getting another contract. What was, what was that like? Did you see that coming? It was a bit of a shock. Oh, look a little bit. So the, you do find out AFL football at the top level, like it is pretty cutthroat. So you, you just got to remind yourself you're dealing with the, like the best of the best. Okay. So as much as it was great to play and like to have played a really good season of football um, uh, at at Bendigo and to win the BNF and all that kind of stuff like that was, was great. Even in my experiences um, in those four games, like if you're lining up against Sam Mitchell, who is, you know, a player who's getting picked every single week and what he was able to achieve, like he, I was never going to be as good as a Sam Mitchell. So I, I kind of figured that out. I may have been able to potentially like eke out, I don't know, 20, 30 games, something like that, potentially. But um unfortunately, just yeah, I, I didn't I didn't step in. I didn't get like um I didn't have like a, a huge game. And so the Collingwood game was was serviceable and I was pleased with it. And I potentially had the ability to be a bit part player, maybe. But that was probably the extent. And whether I was fully cognizant of that at that particular time, I'm not sure. But when it came time to the um to the exit reviews or, or exit reviews were fine, but for the you know the list decision meeting that I had, I had a feeling they weren't going to offer me a three-year contract extension or anything like that when I walked in there. Um and again at the time, yeah, because it is devastating, um, because this is what you wanted to do. Um, and you're 20 years old, so you think the future is going to be bright and this is just the, the beginning of it all. So to have that kind of cut down, it is one of those moments, but I now look through it and say, yeah, I was never going to be good enough, but it certainly like hurt at, the, at that particular point in time, undoubtedly. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess probably we've heard stories from sort of the 80s and, and 90s where players get cut and that, that's it. I guess when you when you were delisted, what sort of support, were you offered in terms of, you know, you, this is your career and it's cut short. And it's, it's one of the big things for AFL players is that their careers are potentially so short. Um, what sort of support did you get following that decision by Essendon? Look, I could have had as much support as, as I would have needed. Like they would have done anything if I was um, in need in any way, shape or form. I, I suppose I was just in, in like the half decent position that um, like I, I, was okay, like did okay at school. I'd started, had a year between um, finishing school and and being rookied where I was just being able to, uh, I had um, like, I was, I'm a youngin. So my under eight, top age, under 18 year, I was out of school. So I'd started, um, had a year of full-time university behind me um, and kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. So I was relatively um, set up and I was very thankful for that. Now I say set up as in, I just, I had things in place. It wasn't as though all the eggs were in one basket of, of being a, um, a professional footballer. Um, I'd, I'd kind of had a few things lined up, but if, if I needed any form of guidance, if I needed any form of employment, the, they would have bent over backwards to give it to me, but it was more just a case of, I kind of know what I'm doing. Like I'm, not a great situation to kind of find myself in, but I hadn't had to move interstate. I was still living at home with mum and dad. Like I was, I was pretty, um, I was pretty protected in, in kind of that, in that sense. So um, I didn't need it uh, necessarily, but if I did, they would have provided me with whatever and um, wherever it was needed. 
Yeah. And I guess, you know, you, you do go straight back into the VFL. I guess the, the, the passion was still there at some some level. Was the goal to, to get back into the AFL at that time or was it just, I want to keep performing at the highest level? Because I think if you sort of think around that time, it was very rare that the players would get, you know, sort of um, recycled, I guess is, is the word they use now. I think it probably took yep. until Podsy Adley really showed what was what was available at the lower level and then maybe um, Michael Barlow as well, sort of the year after that, the clubs actually started to take it more seriously. So you're you're sort of in that that age where people are the clubs are sort of going to the draft and, and not really looking outside of that. Like was that was the goal to get back to the AFL or was just really keep pushing yourself as hard as you could? Uh, look it probably was, I reckon. Um um now the unfortunate thing with it, and this is probably something that I've observed um throughout my kind of career, I've always um observed and experienced myself the first year Host being on an AFL list, I find players kind of struggle with that transition the most. And that was certainly the case with me. So I ended up staying on and playing with Bendigo in my uh, uh, the year after I kind of got delisted. That was kind of a twofold decision. I actually had a really good relationship with um with Manny Knights. Um, so he'd kind of invested a lot into me and shown a lot of faith in me over the preceding two periods in um, two years. And I could won the best and fairest and played at AFL footy essentially under his tutelage. So we had that relationship um, to, to want to stay on and, and do this, but kind of shifting from that really full-time football environment um, to one where you've got a lot more, I suppose, spare time that you would ordinarily be in a structured training program that all of a sudden you've got to find the self-discipline to implement that yourself. And I certainly, as much as that may sound strange, um, being the person and player that I am now, but I almost needed that year to figure out you know, how this was all going to work. So I didn't, I didn't actually, the idea was, yes, to kind of get back into, into the AFL system, I reckon. But that first year out, I just didn't have things in the appropriate right order. And probably the unfortunate thing with me is being exposed to the top tier, not necessarily excelling, kind of removes that potential aspect um, surrounding Ben Jolly at that particular time and then not being able to really improve on the 2007 um, from the 2006 season to the 2007 season probably affirm that in the eyes of the people who are making those decisions about list compositions that I was probably just now a dime a dozen midfielder that his upside's kind of been exposed and it was never going to be the the top the top line stuff that they were kind of after so um once the 2007 season finished um it was more, I suppose, the shift to, okay, I now just want to play football at the highest level I can. And to be able to do that, I'm probably going to have to expand my horizons. Hence, the next chapter, I would consider it to be um, being at the William South Football Club. Hear me? Yeah. So, I, I, that was sort of leading into my my next question. I guess that was one of the reasons why Williamstown appealed to you. What else did they sort of present to you that, that made you think this is where I want to be? Yeah, good question. So going back to my, I suppose, just very quickly, the decision-making with the Essendon um, one, like at 20 years old, having just now suffered the disappointment, confidence, self-confidence levels were probably at a, a fairly low level. So that just want to be in a situation that was familiar, whereby I kind of knew the coaching staff players seemed like the most attractive proposition. I wasn't really wanting to like go out there on a limb um, and find a new environment and do all those types of things like that. And I needed that 2007 season to realize that you're just going to be comfortable all your life or you're not going to really get anywhere. So 
um, Williamstown kind of just came along somewhat by chance in this will be testing your uh, love of the Essendon Football Club. During one of the other recruits that Bendigo had in the 2007 season was Jason Cloak. So um, uh, Cloak and I obviously got along pretty well or um, at least spent a fair bit of time together playing at Bendigo in 2007. And um, it was just literally a chance meeting that we had the day after the AFL Grand Final whereby he said, oh, look, I'm probably going to head back to Williamstown, having played a few games there when he was on um, Collingwood's list. Do you mind if I just mention your name um, to Brendan Curry and, and Brad Gotch and, and you know, they can kind of do with it what they will? And I said, yeah, look, no dramas. Give them a, um, more than happy to pass on my number and and um, we'll take it from there. And then anyway, about a week later, they kind of got in contact and said we'd just like to catch up and, and, um, and see what your kind of intentions are for footy next year. Um, and from that conversation... Uh, just kind of got nothing more than a bit of like a good vibe about the the place. Nothing more, nothing really less. I knew the club had been successful um, winning the 2003 flag and were always a pretty strong club in the three years of the VFL footy that I'd now played against them. And um, without wanting to kind of overcomplicate things, seemed like a good fit. I was ready for a change and had this new mindset of just wanting to play at the highest level possible, get the most out of myself um, as a footballer. Let's kind of make it work. And that's kind of how it really sprung about. And I guess not driving the Bendigo every other week was probably a big tick as well. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. As much as those uh, those bus trips that we had were kind of enjoyable and that type of stuff, yeah, I kind of was after something that was a bit more kind of workable from um, a lifestyle perspective. Yeah. I guess one thing with Williamstown at the time, they were aligned with, with the Bulldogs after having been aligned with Collingwood. And obviously you played for Bendigo both as an AFL and a VFL listed player. And then Williamstown in 2013 goes go solo. You've experienced both aligned clubs and, and standalone clubs. And there's just quite a lot of both currently in the VFL. Um, what are the key differences and benefits for each situation? Yep. Uh, look, differences... Differences um, in terms of like AFL standalone and like VFL aligned, I think kind of come down to like um, it being like a, a Williamstown aligned with the dogs rather than like just that AFL alignment that has the, the VFL list of players. I think if you can anchor something in that um, culturally relevant um, history of a place, it certainly kind of strengthens those bonds and gives that additional purpose of, oh, you're just not playing in the twos type thing. You're certainly representing, well, for Williamstown being got to be very close to, and yeah, almost 160 years old, there is that kind of added element and that can be equally said at, you know, places like Sandringham or certainly Port Melbourne um, and those types of things, which have also kind of gone through various um, compositions of alignments, non-alignments, different aligned sides and those types of things like that. What the, what the yeah, great thing about having the um, alignment with an AFL club is clearly the ta- talent pool. So we at Williamstown were certainly the beneficiary um, for a number of years of having access to like, some very, very high caliber um, players who kind of floated through the club by way of our association with the um with the Western Bulldogs. And prior to that, clearly with the access that Williamstown had to some of the Collingwood 
um, plays during the early um, 2000s and, and, and things like that um, is, is you know, they, 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 they win your games, put it that way. They win your games. Um, the other kind of key difference, of course, though, is when you um, move to that standalone or be it VFL standalone, AFL standalone is just the ability just to implement like your own Streamland program. It just rem- removes an element of ambiguity, let's say, in regards to what the core reason you're going out there on a weekend is. Is it development, which I completely understand and am sympathetic for, or is it to try and win, you know, premierships um, year in, year out? Um, so, you know, some of those have completely opposite intentions with the development side actually um, development side actually leading to um, successful teams and the just year-on-year year success, success, success actually diminishing the likelihood or chances of you being able to actually achieve the penultimate. So, um, yeah, there are certainly differences and, like, you could almost put, like, an equal measure of, of kind of pros and cons with it all. Yeah. Well, I guess you sort of mentioned there, Williamstown, you, you want to be successful. And, you know, through the entirety of that, that first stint, you were with Williamstown, you were quite a successful side, you know, prelims most seasons, um, a few grand final appearances, and then obviously culminating in the in the 2015 flag. I guess what what made Williamstown such a, a strong side at that time? And even when you went, you went uh, standalone. And I guess just sort of reflecting on that 2015 flag, you know, you'd been in the league for 10 years. You had the opportunity to captain that side. Um, what did that mean for you? to achieve that goal yeah so okay so the the success kind of throughout well, let's go the, the kind of the first quarter of the line with the dogs i'll just re-emphasize that point of the the talent pool that we had access to okay so when you've got um will minson um or ben hudson as your you know number one uh or one and two kind of like ruck duo it, it's as a midfielder i was pretty pleased with that kind of situation um occurring so the fact that in our period of alignment, we were able to play off in a grand final, uh, make prelims in every one of those years except one, which was a elimination to final um, defeat, meant that um, throughout that period, you had the ability to kind of attract good VFL players as well. So it wasn't really like um, you were having to cast a net far and wide to get players to your club. You could potentially maybe handpick just one or two here or there. Um to arrive at the club. And then when we shift from the alignment to standalone, because we'd been um, close enough, I suppose, or near enough to to achieving um, premiership success, I think we possibly were seen as a bit of a, a destination club in that initial period. Um, and therefore, as much as we then need to cast our net a lot wider because we really were from, um, you know, like a senior perspective, having to recruit like, 10 new players, which then also required 10 new players to fill the development side team every week as well. We kind of managed just to get a couple of good eggs in the um in the door who um who were either kind of a bit more mature or had spent time on AFL lists um, that were kind of ready to go. And then um we we're able to kind of build them and meld them into that winning culture with a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong. Um to yeah, achieve the the premiership in two thousand and and fifteen, which look amongst it being you know joyous and celebratory, like that was for me personally, like a pretty just big relief because it's easy for me to say it, and it having won one, 
Um, and there's plenty of players that have come before me who will be far superior in terms of their ability who haven't won flags and all those types of things like that. But yeah, when the time comes to kind of retire and hang up the boots, that would certainly have been a bit of an itch that I would have felt, yeah, pretty disappointed not to have scratched. But again, that's me saying it now that I've won it. Oh, yeah, of course I would have missed out on it. My thoughts may have been completely different, but it was, yeah, it was certainly, it was certainly a relief because um, you just, you they are hard to win. They're hard to win. Yeah, as you say, you, you you got close a lot of times, and you know you, you fell short. And so to actually get over the line, yeah. obviously, you know it's it's probably different for you know a player in your team who was their first grand final or their you know their first year on the list. You know how good is this sort of thing? But you've got that different perspective. Yes. You've, you've gone through it. You've gone through you know some tougher times and some disappointments to to get that. So I mean, it's it always means a lot to a lot of people, but everyone experiences it differently. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah, definitely. And again, I, I see her and say relief. There'll be others that, what, like, again, they wouldn't even, the relief wouldn't even cross their mind. It just would have been the, the amazing feeling that that raw, raw emotion of, of, um, of, of winning, of winning the flag where, um, yeah, for a few others and me in particular, as much as it was joyous and, and happy, I was just like, oh, actually, thank, kind of thank God. <laughs> this yeah. is kind of, this is kind of come off, which is great. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, as, as the captain, you got to stand up there and, and hold that that cup aloft and so you know obviously leadership is something that's been identified in you fairly early given you know you led um led the quarter team you, you're captain of the the state team um as an under 18 and then obviously Williamstown chose you as, as captain what's the what do you think are the defining features of you as a leader and I guess how has that changed over the years say how you led at quarter versus how you you led Williamstown yep oh look it's continually and constantly evolving despite not um like occupying positions of, of leadership at, at Willie now, nor kind of Paul Melbourne in my kind of couple of years, I was just allowed the, the freedom to kind of play. Um, like it went from being that whole, like just example driven, like got to set the example um, without being overbearing in my leadership style. I don't think I could ever kind of be um, accused of, of doing that, but it was always like set the example, do the hard work or that kind of stuff like that to then kind of, I suppose, allowing like my personality traits to kind of come through a little bit. Um and I don't know, like just the ability to kind of give and treat everyone equally and fairly um, is probably kind of where I, and which as I, I tend to think kind of added to me being a better person or an easier person to, to live with and, and get along with and, and be around has, um, has probably where I would kind of start my leadership like from and with, like engendering kind of confidence in someone else is one of the best things that you can do as a leader. And that can come in many different ways and forms. And hence why we have leadership groups to kind of counterbalance um, both the captain or the leader's um, personality traits. But yeah, it's certainly evolved to a point where I just want to ensure that, yeah, I've given everyone the the time that they, you know, the time being just a good a good person to, to everyone, no matter who they are and what they're doing. And then from that, obviously formalizing an opinion as to whether what they're doing is correct and beneficial for the team or or not. But there's got to be that that kind of base level that you enter in all your relationships with in order to, to build them into what they need to be for the team to be successful. So um it's, it's certainly something that I'll always encourage everyone to to take up, like positions of leadership when they um, become available to you because you just expedite your capacity to learn what works and what doesn't 
no end. Um, and again, I don't necessarily think that I was thrust into to those positions, but it was just kind of based on um, what I was really doing naturally because there wasn't much science or research going to me as a leader when I'm 16 or 17 or, or, or 18. But as it's kind of developed, just figure out what, what's, what works for you. And yeah, like it's, it's well, certainly not easy. You find yourself in positions that you ordinarily wouldn't want to be in when you've got to have hard conversations with, with teammates about selection issues or why they're not doing the right things for the team. But at the end of the day, you just they've got to kind of be done. If you've got that strong relationship with them because you've treated them with respect from from the get-go, then um, there's not much more you can really do. I think that's some really good advice there for anyone who's listening and, you know, thinking about taking on leadership roles. So thanks for sharing that. I guess, you know, it was, you know, you won you won that premiership and then I think the next year you sort of told that you you've been retired by media release. How does that how does that go down? Well, it wasn't the next year, thankfully. We had a, we eked out a couple more years. Um, uh, told I've retired in a meeting release. Well, I suppose that necessarily wasn't expected either. The wording of it, I think, was I'd retired from. I'm not sure what the actual wording was. It definitely contained the word retired, but there was some sort of like caveat. Um, so it was interesting and. Look, if that wouldn't have happened, I don't think I still would have been sitting here today. Um, probably, I don't know whether it's a downside of my personality or not, but probably a great way of getting me to do something is to tell me that I can't do it. And that potentially was the opinion that was formulated by you know um, those who were making that decision at that particular point in time. So, I look, I need to take some of the responsibility myself because- the culmination of my um, my retirement uh, was or came after like a few very average performances that I did, unfortunately, in preliminary finals over kind of consecutive seasons. So when at a club like Williamstown, we're not measuring success by preliminary finals, it's by grand final success. And I unfortunately aren't playing the best of parts on important days um, that may enable the club to experience that. Okay, well, questions need to be asked, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, kind of seeing the writing on the wall, particularly at the conclusion of the uh, – it must have been the 2018 season, I think. Yes, uh, 2018 season meant that um, I'd kind of had time to adjust that this was probably going to be – coming so again kind of almost going back to the whole 2006 2007 period at, at Essendon where I probably didn't make the right decision this was a flip mindset of me being a lot older um, a lot more I suppose confident in my ability and sure of myself that um, I thought well I still think I've got something to offer and give and um, I'm probably going to be the one that if I have the opportunity to determine when my kind of career finishes. So, um, yeah, again, I don't think I would be in this position as strange as and hard as it was at the time, but um, it ended up being pretty, you know, a pretty good outcome for me having the ability to experience um, three years of footy at Port Melbourne, which um, which was great. It kind of reinvigorated myself, love for the game, all those types of great friends that have come out of, um, you know, what essentially was a pretty brief period there, but all those, all those types of things like that have um, just, just, yeah, just reminded me of why footy can be so great and rewarding. Yeah. Well, I guess sort of revenge is a powerful motivator. So 
yeah, it's, it's seemed to have got you, as you said, got you to this point. Um, you know, you mentioned you, you spent three years at Port Melbourne and then obviously COVID sort of hit and, and threw everything up and up in the year and you eventually, you know, made your way back to Essendon VFL in the 2022 season. So I guess how did that come about? And then how did, you know, obviously it probably didn't work out the way you expected. How was it, how was it sold to you? And then what sort of changed throughout the year? Yeah, no worries. So um, again, like family friendship connections with Essendon, they've kind of always been there um, past the journey. Great thing about the the footy club that they um they certainly look after their own. So there's a few inquiries like over the journey, but timing of it wise, again, playing with Williamstown, being in position of leadership, it was never um, kind of seriously considered. The um, My last year at Port coincided with Gary Ayres, um, concluding his tenure there as, as head coach. So they were certainly in a transitionary phase um, as well. So in that kind of off season, again, I like to make that part of my life as uncomplicated as possible. Um, they appointed the new coach. I just kind of wanted to get clarity about um, whether they kind of wanted me hanging around um, and that kind of stuff. Um, but just so happened in that window of, uh, of time, Essendon kind of got in contact and said they had a playing coaching position available. Is this something you consider? Um, at that particular point in time, I said, look, um, I'm still going to be a Port Melbourne player, but I'm just waiting on them to finalise a few bits and pieces. Um, in the end, kind of Port came to a decision. They were kind of heading in a different direction. They said that I was um, more than uh, willing and able to come down and train, but they just couldn't guarantee me that spot on the list. So Essendon had this guaranteed playing spot available and with the kind of COVID interrupted seasons and all that kind of stuff like that, I was like, well, Theoretically, 2022 was meant to be, in a sense, like the last year of footy that um, I was thinking that I would tick a few of those boxes as we've discussed at the commencement of our chat the this morning. Um, and I was like, well, I've got this guaranteed here. They seem keen. Hey, that whole synergy of ending where I start. Well, okay, maybe this is kind of how it was meant to be. Um, so that was all fine. Um, so agreed to... to to be that kind of playing coach role. Uh, and then it all kind of went all fine. Good preseason, excellent group of, of young players willing to learn, bit of talent there, um, and also the support staff. And you get kind of reminded when you enter um, a footy club like Essendon, like essentially the world is your oyster in terms of resources and all those types of things like that. So for someone who had an aging body and um, was probably going to need a, a bit of additional maintenance or wanted to kind of eke out as much as I could from a physical point of view, I thought, oh, this is going to be the place to the place to be. And it, and it kind of was. But um, kind of coming into the season, unfortunately, uh, it was just kind of made apparent that it was more so going to be a bit more of like a more coaching than than kind of playing. Um, and that was kind of the shift. That I've said new kind of talent coming into the club and had some guys in the VFL program that I wanted kind of wanted to get um exposure to. So look, as much as that was kind of disappointing and probably something that I should have like sort further clarification ad of before I kind of committed to to be um to be part of the program. I kind of didn't and that's kind of just where the chips end up laying in the end. Um and look there's never there's always some positives to be taken out of it as much as I would have loved to have been um out there on the field playing more. Uh it did give me the opportunity to kind of have that look through the lens of what it is like to be um uh, an assistant coach in some capacity and um in kind of doing that again it might sound like a negative but i kind of view it as a positive it's probably formalized my um 
thought process moving forward that I reckon once the playing career is finished, I'll probably, you know, be stepping away from footy, I reckon, at this stage, um, which is good in the sense that I'm not finishing playing and then jumping straight into coaching and not enjoying it at all and having to kind of um, sit it out or um, or kind of doing the, the reverse of that and also not being as aware of what it actually entails. So like to come out of it and go, oh, actually, yeah, I very much appreciate what all the assistant coaches and coaching staff do, but um, it's probably something that I just thought, oh, actually, it's probably not not necessarily for me um, in the immediate short term. Yeah, I guess, you know, every experience, you know, it's a learning experience. And even if you take out that you, is this something you don't want to do, you know, that sort of clarifies yeah, you want to go moving forward. Like you sort of mentioned, you know, a lot of young talent coming through Essendon, the year you were there. Who impressed you the most during that year, particularly in terms of the AFL listed players? Yep, no, definitely. So, Nick Bryan. So, very pleased to kind of see him get a kind of couple of games in a row there with... Um, with um, Draper being out of the side, he was just someone that like I like really turned up every week. So for anyone who's kind of um, both this year, but particularly last year and even the year before, before that, I just put up like really impressive numbers and just really, really like tried his best. And I always have great admiration for like young developing ruckmen because they're highly likely they're going to be put up against like big developed strong bodies where they're going to be underweight and quite often undersized and probably not as um uh aware from like a game style perspective like where to run yeah, I, to it stands out to me i remember watching the southport game that you we've talked about sort of the weird finish to that game but i just remember the southport ruckman being about three times the size of, of nick Bryant. <laughs> so you know bit of a bit of a challenge there um so there's 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 one that i you know um i think kind of um if there is an ability for a transitionary period between when like um, Andrew Phillips, which was also, I could put in that same category, not being the young rocker, but um, very glad to see him playing um, regular senior footy because he was a, a cut above VFL last year. Uh, John Menzi was great when he came into the program. So I thought that was only going to be a matter of time before um, he kind of um, was able to cement himself in the side. Um, Massimo D'Ambrosio again, Coming into the program, he was always a cut of above. Um, I'm sure he's probably not um, wrapped with how he's kind of gone this year. A um, bit of an injury to kind of finish last year, probably curtailed his preseason, and and he's just now figuring out how to build himself back up to be a consistent performer. Um, who else was there? Oh, Paddy Boss, like very like you kind of I don't know whether kids these days just get bigger and bigger, <laughs> but um big lump of a lad who did some good things last year. Uh, Kane Baldwin, much the same. Hopefully he can kind of just be able to find a spot that suits him on the on the field, be it forward or back. Um, but, yeah, like a few of them have kind of gone on this year. Like the one the the ones who are kind of um, – who are regulars in the side now, someone like Archie Perkins, he only came back briefly. But um, – uh, and then the other ones like um, – like Zach Reed, who unfortunately has been injured again and things like that. Um, they all were, um, yeah, like guys that you would look at and just go, yeah, you could be, if things go your, not so much go your way, but if you hold yourself together and those types of things like that, um, you could have a, a long distinguished career at AFL level. So there, there was certainly enough there. It was just kind of a bit surprising that we were um, 
was certainly just hampered by injury last year that we really didn't the side didn't really get going to about the halfway point which is always going to make it make it tough mm. um so you know there's, there's enough kind of coming through that i would suggest they're, they're going to be okay yeah no good good to hear look i've kept you for almost an hour so i'll, I'll start to wrap it up but you know you as the as the soon to be the most experienced vfl player ever you've seen a lot of change in the way the leagues run obviously it's an interstate league now you, you're flying a couple of times a year to, to new south wales and and queensland to to play against the sides up there given your experience um let's let's say for a minute they put you in charge of the vfl for a day and you can make three changes what are the what are the three changes you would make to the vfl to make it a, a better league Okay, I've got to remind myself. I suppose you said that I'm in charge of the AFL, so theoretically, I am the one paying the bills, which would often be the um, things that would stop me from saying the things that I um, would like. Oh, look, it would be awesome if again it it would be awesome if the reserves could come back into the competition. Okay, so that was just that was just great because it added um, like a layer of. Um, like a, a club fear whereby you get to the game early and there's a game of footy going on that you could watch with your teammates and look out and see how other players are going. The fact that we don't have it um, anymore means that guys are, you know, dispersing back into various local leagues. You're not having that same connection with how they're going every week or the ability to keep track of them. Um, not that I would be occupying much of this space, but um, I think kind of like the potentially like the salary cap could maybe be increased <laughs> somewhat. And that is, not to say that I have ever felt kind of underpaid or underappreciated from a remuneration point of view playing VFL football, but um, when there is, when you've got, when you're competing with, um, you know, uh, local leagues who have equal salary cap provisions or potentially, again, I'm not sure of the exact finances, despite the fact that I'm trying to imagine that I am running the league at this particular point in time, um, that, uh, you know, to to expand that or increase that to enable you know players to be paid and again i'm not certainly categorizing myself in this um uh in in this way but like pay them kind of what they what they could be earning elsewhere um so it kind of enables them to retain as much talent as possible would be another um and i'll that that'd probably about they're probably the two things that I would um, ideally like to find solutions for, but that's why I'm not in charge of the VFL here because I actually don't have any solutions for them. Well, you just got to fake it to to your mate, and I think the the salary cap selection uh, suggestions a good one just because it's meant to be the next league down, and if you're not if you haven't got the next level of talent, like there's probably you know 50, 60 players running around. Um, you know, the local leagues or the yeah. country leagues in particular that, you know, would improve VFL sides and that, that improves the standard for, for everyone. So I guess, you know, when you're competing with, you know, country country clubs with um, rich benefactors um, that can get you up the country every week, um, you know, it can be a bit of a bit of a challenge there. But, um, yeah, I think that's something there. Well, look, just, you know, obviously we're recording this in the middle of the, the 23 season, you know, Williamstown's up and about the pointy end, um, as you would expect as a, as a Williamstown player. Um, how are you feeling about how the side's going this year and what sort of things do you think you potentially could accomplish? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, no, feeling pretty good. Like we've, like all, sorry, not all teams, we're going through kind of a, a not so much a, a rough patch, but a, a patch where we're certainly being challenged and some probably alterations need to be kind of changed, uh, made to the way in which we're, we're playing um, the game at the moment, which is okay because this is what you kind of need to do to keep evolving as a as a side to 
um, challenge your opposition on a weekly basis. But um, no, we're, we're certainly looking forward to the opportunity to play finals. Um, albeit that's not a foregone conclusion. That's certainly where we're, our expectations are at the moment. Um, and then from that, look, I was always one to say with VFL football, the whole like need to finish time top four and get the double chance isn't as applicable only because um, with the fact that AFL sides, um, you know, may elect to send players into surgery or list management decisions are made in and around that time that you just got to get there to then see where the cards um, fall from that particular point in time. And that's kind of what we'll be, we'll be kind of aiming at. We're not taking too much of a, of a calculated approach to need to finish here and play that. So we get this there and all that kind of stuff. We can kind of get true finals. We, for the most part, have kind of proven ourselves thus far against a couple of the top sides. We've been, you know, beaten by some of the other top sides. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, make finals and, and um and then see where that takes us from there, I reckon, mate. Yeah. Well, look, fingers crossed on that. Hopefully, it you know, it plays out really well and, you know, you get another little fairy tale. Um, maybe not ending. We don't know yet. But look, I won't, won't, re- I won't retire you on this podcast, uh-huh. I promise you. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah, look, look. thanks so much for, for taking the time out to, to speak with me. Um, any final words or shout outs from you? Uh, no, mate. Like it's great. Um, again, I'm glad you had that disclosure at the start. Of life we would have been in an ICAC corruption investigation <laughs> if we didn't say that we worked together. I don't think. But um, no, I very much appreciate that. Um, love the work that you're kind of doing with the with the potty and stuff like that, mate. And um, go Bombers. Absolutely. Well, look, thanks so much for joining me today, Ben. I've really appreciated it. I'm sure the listeners will too. Um, good luck for the rest of the season, and, and I'll see you next week at work. Where we're dealing with. Um, you know, rebellious teenagers. So that'll be fun. Um, yep. So for those listening on the main feed, this episode was released a week early on Patreon. You can sign up to the Patreon from the link in the episode description. Um, we release a bonus episode early to the Patreons each month. Until next time, stay safe and go Dons.